So let's start again, shall we? This is Communion Sunday. If you're at home, have the bread, have the cup prepared. We're going to be in John 6. We're actually going to be reading a lot of texts. So I hope that you'll follow along if you would. Um, we're talking today about Jesus feeding the 5,000. If you have the Version Bible app, you can follow along there um, because um, there's a, a live event available for you that you can follow along on. I've really been surprised as I've been doing these Bible stories, and this is like the 44th one we've done. I've been surprised at how much people have been enjoying them. In fact, I've heard people remark, I never thought of that Bible story, Pastor Steve, the way you think of it. And one time Josh Thatchick, as he was praying in the second service, he said, God, thank you so much for Pastor Steve and his kind of weird mind that thinks things differently. (laughs) He didn't say it exactly that way, but that's what it is. And and I think to myself, uh, how how is it that I, I see those stories that way? How is it that we see those stories that way? And, and I would say probably it's because I think one of the things that makes a story a story is the peculiarity in it, the strange thing that's happening in it. When, when you're reading a story in the Bible or anywhere else, maybe you're watching something on TV, and, and, and all of a sudden something really weird happens, there's a good chance that you're really looking at the reason the story was recorded. The weird thing is why we bothered to write that down. And when you begin to explore that anomaly, when you begin to explore that oddity, um, generally that uncovers the meaning to the story. And that's how I've been doing these Bible stories. I, I kind of read the story and study it. I do the research on it and I look for the strange thing that's in that story. And then I say, so why is that there? Why is that weird thing in that story? And then I kind of try to explain that in the sermon. Because the anomaly is usually, you know what an anomaly is, right? It's, it's a strange thing. Something, what's that doing there? The anomaly is usually the focal point. Let me try to demonstrate this to you. If I tell you that as a little girl, my daughter Esther told her teacher that on the way to school she saw a dog, that's the story. You'd probably just shrug and say, okay, nothing weird about that. But if I tell you as a little girl, Esther told her teacher that on the way to school, the dog behind the fence in the yard on the corner yipped at her the entire length of that yard, you'll go, I don't know. What's the point? Not much of a story there. There's no anomaly there. But what if I tell you this? As a little girl, my daughter Esther got in trouble for telling her teacher that on the way to school, she saw a three-legged dog. And the teacher insisted, Esther, you're lying, and actually reprimanded her for that. Now, that kind of piques your interest because that that just kind of There's a couple strange things going on there. The first strange thing is this. It's odd to see a three-legged dog. I've seen them, but I don't see them every day. And the stranger thing is this. What kind of teacher yells at a kid (laughs) for talking about a three-legged dog? And it kind of makes you want some resolution. It kind of makes you want to think, so how did that story end? Esther will be here later. You can ask her about that. She'll be glad to tell you. (laughs) Hmm. The strange things in a story aren't always there just to get your attention. They're often the reason a story was written down. And our Bible story today has many, many strange things in it. Jesus has just fed 5,000 men plus women and children, five loaves, two fish. That's all he uses to do it. And a day or so later, the people track him down. They're looking for him. And we're going to pick up in verse 26 and see Jesus' reaction to that. Verse 26, it says, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the good works God requires? 
Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Okay, so nothing weird about that. That sounds good. But the next verse, verse 30, you see one of the strange things recorded. So they ask him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do on our, our ancestors rather, ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them the bread from heaven to eat. I want to tell you, verse 30 is kind of a strange thing. And you know it's a strange thing if you're paying attention because it's just plain a strange thing to ask for a sign after you've been given a sign. These people, just quite possibly the day before, had seen the sign of the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. You need another sign after that. that. That's not a good enough sign. You need another sign. It's kind of like talking to a preschooler, which, by the way, I've done a lot of in the past several weeks. They're living at my home. It's kind of like talking to a preschooler. And he says, I want that truck. It's in your hand, buddy. I want that truck. It's in your hand. Bye, I want that truck. And it's like, wow. And I wonder, how often does Jesus see us that way? I mean, I mean, really, I want a sign. Well, I, I've given you a sign. I fed 5,000. I want a sign. Did you see the sunset last night? I want a sign. These people had seen a sign that most of us could only dream of seeing. And they knew it. In verse 14 of chapter 6, it says, After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is a prophet who's come into the world. They'd been given a sign. They knew it was a sign. And yet, here they are asking for a sign. That's a strange thing. That's a strange thing. Listen again to what Jesus says in verse 26. He says, You are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They are asking Jesus to provide a sign just because they like the food. Think about this for a minute. Imagine that some new neighbors move in and you want to get to know them. And so you say to them, hey, we're going to throw some meat on the grill here. You and your wife want to come over and Maybe have a barbecue with us. What do we need to bring? Nothing. Just bring yourselves. Come on over and have an evening with us. So they show up, sitting outside on the deck and sitting around a table, and they eat the food. When they're finished, they kind of push their seat back, and uh, they get up and they leave. No conversation. No shared jokes. No connection. That's a strange thing. And then the next day, they show up with forks in hand. They want more food, just like yesterday. But you didn't invite them to the barbecue to give them food. You invited them to the barbecue so you could get to know them. They kind of missed the point of the barbecue. These people kind of missed the point of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is not a food truck. <laughs> he, he, he's, and, and he actually calls them out on it. You guys want the food truck, Jesus. I'm not the food truck, Jesus. You want the food truck, Jesus. Good food, fresh fish. Maybe it's a deep fried Oreo or a turkey leg. No demands. That's what you're looking for. You want a food truck. I'm not a food truck. I want something bigger than that for you and me. I want your heart. I want your heart. Jesus wants a relationship with him. Let me talk to you about that relationship. Hmm. Sometimes we're afraid of the idea that the Spirit of God can actually speak to us personally about things in our life, that the Holy Spirit would speak to us. And it's kind of crazy. It's kind of my generation and, and previously that has been like, yeah, the only way God speaks is through the Bible. And indeed, that is the only authoritative way God speaks to his church. The only way. But he does speak to your heart. And my generation, the generation before, the next generation have all sung about that in songs like, 
And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Jesus wants a relationship like the relationship that existed in the Garden of Eden. In in Genesis chapter 3, it speaks of God walking through the garden in the cool of the day and calling Adam by name. He came to have that relationship with you where he walks with you and talks with you. He didn't come to be a food truck. But often, you know, often people, even longtime Christians, are a little scared of that relationship with Jesus because they know that Jesus actually wants to change their lives. And we think that's a bad thing. (laughs) It's a good thing. He wants us to face our sins so we can confess them and deal with them. He wants us to address our issues, you know. You ever see somebody, they come in, they talk to you a little bit, and they leave. You happen to be with a good friend, and when they walk out, you and a good friend look at each other and say, whoa, he has issues. Jesus wants you to address your own issues. He wants you to hear the message, the radical message of love for God and love for people that he speaks of so clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. He wants you to examine yourself. He wants you to be set free by himself from your own self-inflicted bondage. And sadly, I've noticed <laughs> that there are a lot of people that aren't as open to that as we might hope they would be. They want a sign. They ask for a sign. More food, I guess. Not the stuff that God has. That's just strange. And there's a stranger thing here, though. I mean, it's a strange thing to ask for a sign after being given a sign, but it's a stranger thing that a rabbi would identify himself as life. I I think it's safe to give you this warning. You ever happen to be in a church? Could be any church in the world. If you're in a church and the guy standing on the platform says, I am the bread of life, you not only have my permission to, but you have my instruction to get up and leave quietly, right? Because the only person who would ever be able to say that and be speaking truth would be Jesus. But here he is saying it, and these people don't know that he is the bread of life. And they've got to be thinking to themselves, that is a strange thing for anybody to say. I mean, I've never heard a rabbi ever call himself the bread of life. Look at verse 31. The people say to Jesus, Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So here's what they're saying. Jesus uh, You gave us food yesterday, just like our ancestors got it. Do it again, like Moses did. Be like Moses. Could you do that, please? And Jesus kind of tweaks their perspective. Verse 32 says, Jesus says to them, Very truly, I tell you something. Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. It wasn't Moses. It was and always is God who does that. And then he tells them he's from heaven. Look at verse 33. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's talking about himself. But they don't see that. In verse 34, they say, Sir, always give us this bread. And then Jesus tells them um, that he is the bread. And he's saying, you don't need a food truck. You don't need a meal. You need me. And verse 35 says, And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then he mentions some people just aren't going to get this. He says in verse 36, But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still don't believe in me. All those the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do the will, my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So when someone rejects Jesus, 
He's not surprised. (laughs) Some people aren't looking for what they really need. They're still looking for fish and bread. He's not here to provide food. He's here to provide everlasting life. And by the way, he tells you other places in John, another place in John, Jesus says, and this is eternal life that they may know God. (laughs) He says in verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should not lose any of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And their reaction is in verse 41. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that's come down from heaven. Okay, I want to tell you something. In this next section, Jesus' church attendance, the size of his flock, if you want to call it that, drops dramatically. He's really been gaining popularity up until this point. Literally thousands of people are following him. He would make Joel seem jealous. Thousands of people. He fed 5,000 of them just a day or so before this. But in the next few verses, he's going to lose almost all of them. And I'm guessing if that happened today, he'd be getting a call from the district office come Monday morning. I'm guessing if that would happen today, the elders in the local church would want to have a talk with him. This rabbi, he calls himself the bread of life. That is a strange thing. But in the verses that follow, you find even a stranger thing. He tells people to consume him. I I think we can all agree. It is very strange for a human being to tell others to eat my flesh and drink my blood. But Jesus starts talking about this in verse 47. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread who comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and will not die. I am the living bread come down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, and which I will give for the life of this world. And as you might expect, that really sets them on edge. Verse 52 says, Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And it's a really good question because it's a strange thing. And then, here it is in verse 53. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and that's him, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate man and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And the people start walking away. Verse 59. He said this while teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples left and said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then if you're following along, look down at verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. (laughs) Those words, eat my flesh, drink my blood. They are strange things. But perhaps the strangest part, perhaps the strangest part of this whole story isn't that they ask for a sign after being given a sign and isn't that this rabbi identifies himself as the the life 
And isn't that he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. But maybe, maybe the strangest part of this whole story is that anyone remained. That anyone would hang around after that. It's just really strange that the 12 remained committed to Jesus. I want to tell you, I'd have, I'd have left. Because I'm spiritually stupid. <laughs> I probably would have left. But look at verse 67. And Jesus is speaking. He says, to the 12, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know you are the Holy One of God. Why? Why did these men stay with a man who just seemingly required cannibalism, not to mention what seems to be vampirism? Why would they stay with him? That might be the strangest thing of all. And remember what I said earlier, the strange things, that's where the meat of the story generally is. The oddity, and this is an oddity, that's our area to look at. The anomaly, the peculiarity, it is strange to remain with Jesus. And so probably one of the most important parts of this passage we can look at are the words of Peter, where Peter is actually explaining that Jesus fills our real needs. I see that in Peter's words, that deep in our spirit, we long for eternity. We hunger, we thirst for something more. You probably heard this uh, phrase. Football is a metaphor for life. Have you heard that? In other words, the things you see in football kind of illustrate the things you see in real life. If you love the NFL football like I love it, you think real life is a metaphor for football, right? Uh, that's the fun thing. It's said about all sports, though, that sports serve as an example, a metaphor, a place from which we can derive lessons for our everyday life. And because of the attention that professional sports receive, it, it seems to reveal over and over again, sports seem to reveal again and again, this deep longing for eternity and many other things. Think of football stars you know who have done it all, and it's not enough. Think of Brett Favre. Is Scott here today? Scott, I'm talking about your guy. <laughs> I think he's out in the lobby. Yeah. Think of Brett Favre for a moment. How many times did he retire? Three, right? I'm pretty sure it was three. He just couldn't let go. And while he's standing up there saying, yeah, I think I'm going to come back. Yeah, I'm coming back. There's a whole nation of people watching that saying, I don't blame you a bit, man. I don't blame you a bit, right? He couldn't let go. He was longing for something that football hadn't yet given him. And even if it did give it to him, it would not sustain it in his life. Deep in your spirit, you long for eternity. How about Tom Brady? Remember uh, when 60 Minutes interviewed Tom Brady in 2005. I want you to think about how many years ago is that? Is that 17 years ago? 60 Minutes interviews Tom Brady and they ask him, how much is enough? And at 27 years of age with three Super Bowl rings, he said, I don't know. And then he says a sentence, listen to it. It's got to be more than this. How much is enough? <laughs> It would seem that Brady still doesn't know, right? He still doesn't know. 
He is longing for something that this world cannot provide. And you and I, we want more than a food truck, Jesus. Deep in your spirit, you long for eternity. You want more than a Super Bowl victory could ever provide. When Jesus asked the 12, what about you guys? Are you going to leave too? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Peter gets it. And that's the point of the story. When Jesus says, I'm the bread, and when he says, I'm the cup, he's saying, I am everything. I am what you long for. And Peter gets it. He says, you alone, Jesus, satisfy my hunger. Where else can I go? You alone quench my thirst. Jesus fills real needs. And communion, it reminds us of that. Peter's words tell us that deep in our hearts, we long for God. Maybe uh, you've heard this quote. It's kind of a PG quote. The man who rings the bell at the brothel unconsciously does so seeking God. That quote is so true that it's been attributed to Chesterton and C.S. Lewis and a dozen other authors, none of whom said it. Some nobody said it in a fictional account and had some guy named Father Smith mentioning that to a woman. But it's so true. So uh, Let me read it again. The man who rings the bell at the brothel unconsciously does so, seeking God. Kind of reminds you of what Solomon says about how we long for eternity and we long for God. In 3.11, he says, God has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, and yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In our text, in our Bible story, in verse 69, Peter says, Jesus fulfills this longing. He says, we believe, (laughs) we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus, you're just the one we've been looking for. Deep in your heart, you long for God. Jesus fills our real needs. Communion reminds us of that. And Peter's words show us that deep in our person, deep inside your very being, you have a desire, a need to belong. We didn't read verse 70. But it's the last one we're going to read. We're going to read it now. It says, Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. And most people look at those two verses and they get so focused on Judas and the betrayal and everything that's coming up that they miss the whole essence of belonging. Peter, didn't I choose you, the twelve? I chose all of you, Peter. You all belong to me. You are mine. I am yours. You fit here. You're accepted here. You are loved here. You are embraced here. Even if you would do something as as criminal as denying you know me at my trial, even so, you still belong to me, Peter. And I still love you. And I will always love you. We belong to one another. Deep in your person, you long for belonging. And Jesus fills our real needs. Communion reminds us of this. This may be a weird thing to say. 
If your relationship with Jesus isn't cutting it, (laughs) doesn't that sound like a weird thing to say? If your relationship with Jesus is less than you had hoped for, if it's little more than fire insurance, like, yeah, I prayed that prayer and I was baptized, I've been to Sunday school, I can get to heaven. If that's all it is, then maybe you're more like the people in this passage than you wish you were. Jesus, (laughs) he wants to walk with you and talk with you and tell you that you are his own. He's the bread of life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on eternal life. Eternal life. It isn't just something you wait to receive at the end of the age. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he doesn't say, will have eternal life. He says, you have eternal life. And he says, this is eternal life, that they may know God and the one he has sent. Eternal life doesn't just mean going to heaven when you die. It means having an eye to eternity that changes your entire perspective. It means living a perspective that loss in this life is just that, loss in this life. And there's an eternity beyond this life where our present sufferings don't compare to the glory that is revealed in us. And there's a life right now to walk with that glorious God, the author of life. Eternity is looking to Jesus as your bread and your cup, as your everything. And that's what communion means. He is the bread. He is the cup. He is all you need. Let's look to him in prayer, shall we? Lord Jesus, we are so thankful. So thankful that you spoke such clear words. Would have been hard for a lot of rabbis to say the truth like that, to watch your quote-unquote congregation drop from thousands to about a dozen But you didn't come here, God, to win a popularity contest. You came here to win hearts of full devotion to you. We long for eternity. We long for you. We long to belong. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Jesus, for filling all our real needs. As we prepare to take the bread and the cup, We do so with great gratitude. In your name, Jesus, amen. So Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and then he took the cup and he said, this is my body and this is my blood. He had that moment where uh, the Apostle Paul, I shouldn't say he had that moment. The Apostle Paul speaks of a moment uh, where he says, Each of us should examine ourselves before we eat the bread and drink of the cup. And that had very specific implications for the church at Corinth. Those implications, though, can be applied to you and me. So I want to ask Gail if she would play just quietly for a moment while we take a moment to examine our hearts before God. Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone as your Savior? Have you turned from your sin and said, I believe you died for me, I will follow you, Jesus? Are you doing that? And if you are doing that, if you aren't doing that, do it. It's not rocket science. Just tell them that. If if you are doing that, 
Are you looking to him to fill all your longings? Are you selling for a food truck? Nah, don't do that. Only you in the spirit of God know the condition of your heart. Ask him to show you the condition of your heart as Gail plays. That which you hold in your hand, if you peel the film off of the top, that which you hold in your hand represents the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask uh, Dean if he would say a prayer of thanks for the body of Christ, and then we'll take it together. Dean? Amen. The body of Christ. The scripture says that afterward he took the cup. I'd advise you to be careful as you pull this off. It's very easy to spill it. That which you hold in your hand does represent the blood of Jesus. Every now and then you'll hear somebody say, I think that preacher's calling for too radical a commitment. I can't think of a more radical thing than holding in my hand the blood of God, (laughs) right? I think it might be a little too, it'd be beyond our ability to uh, be too radical about Jesus. This blood is given for the forgiveness of our sin. It's poured out that our sins may be forgiven. He demonstrated his love for us by dying for us. I'm going to ask John if he would pray a prayer of thanks for the blood of Christ, and then we'll take it together. John? Amen. Thank you, John. The blood of Christ. I'm pretty sure that the scripture says, then afterward, after they had sung a hymn, they went and had donuts in the gym. They didn't. They went to the Mount of Olives, of course, where he was arrested. But because of that blessing, that goodness that he gave us, we have freedom from sin and a belonging that is immeasurable. So we're going to sing a hymn and then have the benediction. 
And I would welcome you to go to the gym where there will be donuts available. Let's stand together as we sing, break, I'm sorry, blessed be the tie that binds. Blessed be the tie that binds.